Swarm with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. Today we talk to VJ Kumar, Dean of Engineering at the University of Pennsylvania, who has become well known for his work on microair vehicles and swarm robotics. Dr. Kumar's work draws from the full range of traditional robotics disciplines and beyond, and it tackles specific real-world problems such as search and rescue and agricultural monitoring, while also generating new basic insights into robotics research. Pursuing smarter and more robust swarms, Kuma finds inspiration in everything, from the behaviour of ants and bees to the foundation principles of information theory. Our interviewer Jack met up with Dr. Kuma to discuss the guiding ideas behind his research and to explore his perspective as a veteran roboticist on the future of robotics in the lab and the field as industry takes a growing interest in robotics research. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, could you please introduce yourself? I'm Vijay Kumar. I'm a professor in mechanical engineering and applied mechanics at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm also the dean of the School of Engineering. Um, I'm looking at a list of everything you do in your lab. It's a long list. Uh, could you give me a sense of the general thrust of your research and some specific initiatives you have going on right now? Sure. We, we work on two broad areas. One is how do you make robots more autonomous? In other words, how do you incorporate in them the ability to sense the environment and make decisions in an auto autonomous fashion with minimal human intervention? Second, we work on getting robots to collaborate with each other. One of our missions is to create robots that are small and safe and that can occupy environments in which people function going about their daily activities. And uh, the small size, therefore, is important. And when you scale things down to smaller sizes, uh, the number of things they can do or the flexibility goes down. Mm -hmm. And so... By getting them to collaborate, you increase their flexibility while keeping the individual capabilities at a modest level. Right. And so that sort of led naturally to the additional considerations you want to develop these platforms, everything from like materials uh, or manufacturing for like making easily printable robots to developing new control theory for quadrotors that are like manipulating objects. Sure. Yeah. So we... Uh, robotics is an interesting discipline. It's very hard to say, well, I'm going to work on the theory of X or mm -hmm. algorithms for Y. Uh, oftentimes, you have to take a systems perspective, which means everything from trying to figure out how to make physical things, um, how to embed the sensing in it, and then how do you think about programming. So, yes, we do do design manufacturing along with theory and algorithms, and then finally how to realize everything in a real world. And what was your background? I trained as a mechanical engineer, but I also have appointments in computer science and electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. And because of my interest in robotics, I end up interacting with lots of different types of people. Mm -hmm. So no, I'm not a biologist, but I know a lot of famous biologists, and I've, I've been fortunate uh, to have the opportunity to interact with them. Mm. 
So what are some specific uh, projects that have benefited a lot from, say, biology and that have changed your way of thinking about robotics? I think if you look at uh, robots as organisms or individuals or, or machines that help humans um, and help each other, you want to think about models in biology in which sim you see similar behaviors. Mm -hmm. So most uh, uh, individuals or most examples of uh, uh, organisms in biology or animals in biology are ones where individuals exhibit selfish behavior. Mm -hmm. So do we want robots to be selfish? Probably not. Uh, what you really want is for them to be altruistic. So it's interesting to study uh, creatures like ants. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've collaborated with biologists that have uh, helped me understand how ants interact with each other. And sometimes by understanding that, you can be inspired to create behaviors uh, for robots um, and uh, instill in them the same properties that you see in ant colonies. Uh, for example, um, scaling to large numbers, uh, resilience to external threats, and just overall robustness as you think about robots in a society uh, for, for robots helping humans in, in, in what they do in, in our society. Um, what are some like really specific research projects? I know you've worked on um, collective uh, manipulation and transport. Right. So I think if you if you create uh, smaller robots, one thing you quickly realize is their physical ability to lift and transport objects diminishes greatly. Um, on the other hand, if you get robots to collaborate, you can almost imagine their capability to lift uh, multiplying mm -hmm. with the number of units that you have. Um, so if you and I were to say, well, let's lift this table, I can't do it by myself, you can't do it by yourself, but let's collaborate, we know how to do it. So that's something very simple that if we were able to incorporate in robots, it would greatly increase uh, the range of tasks that they could perform. So cooperative manipulation and transport something quite basic and I feel is the key to many uh, impressive uh, tasks or missions uh, that robots can eventually uh, accomplish someday. Um, I've seen demonstrations uh, from your work of quadcopters like collaborating to carry like a, like a beam or something for construction um, but I've also seen uh, videos where you study the uh, dynamics of you know ants collaborating and carrying where you study like the different ways that ants apply force individual ants apply force to a common object um, so how do you approach that from the the sort of different sub-disciplines of robotics whether it be from like sensing for how these robots are like communicating with each other to or seeing what each other are doing to collaborate or um, from the perspective of more like the analytical control side of things for how these ants are, are, are uh, interacting with these objects so I think there are at least three sets of problems you have to consider. Uh, first, you have to think about the mechanics of the task itself. Um, unlike a lot of uh, AI-driven tasks where the physical exchange of energy between the robots and the object or the one robot and another robot is virtually absent, here that dominates uh, the major considerations of, for the task, which is um, if one robot can lift, uh, say, five pounds, the other one can lift 10 pounds, 
you want to achieve a setting where the together they can lift 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. And so that's pretty important. And so fundamental understanding of the mechanics is important. Uh, I think control naturally is an important uh, component of, of what we do because eventually you have to control the robots to do what you want them to do, which is lift different payloads. Uh, I think one thing that uh, it might not be immediately obvious is how the robots actually sense the environment, in particular the object that they're manipulating, and how do they sense what the other robot is doing. Mm -hmm. And this is particularly important because in these kinds of tasks, it is not like there's somebody that is central to the task that's telling each robot what to do. So there could be communication, but uh, again, going back to the analogy where you and I might lift a piece of furniture, um, it's not like you and I are constantly telling each other, hey, you're only uh, lifting 4.9 pounds. You really should be doing 5 pounds. Okay. Otherwise, I'm carrying more than my fair share. Uh, this happens implicitly. So the question of how you sense what the other person is doing and how you communicate with that person becomes important. And the key in all of these problems is to do things in a decentralized way. Mm -hmm. Decentralized meaning without a lack of a central coordinating individual or an arbiter, um, you want to accomplish these tasks. So that leads then to information theory and then also thinking about the software architecture. So it's really, it's a simple task, but it spans, it, you have to pull in uh, uh, knowledge from a different different disciplines and mm -hmm. try to integrate them. <laughs> when you're developing an applied project like that, what are the what are the sort of challenges of the real world, and how have you overcome them? How's previous research from your lab been uh, integrated into like existing real world products, and how do you see these projects coming to fruition in the real world going forward? Yeah, I mean, so this is a great question, but first. Uh, let me let me clarify something. I think we're motivated from real-world applications, mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that our all of our work is applied. Mm -hmm. So we think about, in particular, precision agriculture and search and rescue, uh, or helping humans in environments that might be hazardous, uh, because these are application areas which industry has not been looking at uh, very closely for mm. various reasons. Mm. Um, so in particularly in robotics where there are a lot of big names like the Googles and the Amazons of the world that are now investing in robotics, we have to be very careful about what kinds of problems we pursue. Mm. So we prefer to look at applications that is not being addressed by industry and think about things that our students might be excited uh, on, on working on. So uh, going back to these two examples, uh, what really drives our research uh, is, uh, again, I can characterize uh, our focus or foci by using five words. Each of these words starts with the letter S. Mm -hmm. uh, we focus on size, how to make things smaller, which then uh, leads to a whole range of design challenges as well as computational challenges. The second is safety, S for safety, uh, which is, again, obvious because if you're working next to humans, you have to make sure that humans trust robots and safety is important. We focus on making robots smarter, S for smart. Again, that means you have to think about bringing uh, all kinds of uh, algorithmic thinking as well as artificial intelligence to bear on a physical platform. 
we focus on speed. Uh, in applications like search and rescue, we want to react very quickly, so speed is important. But even in other applications, speed is important because you want to react to things really quickly. Mm. Uh, so rather than think in terms of flying at 20 meters per second, which we do, uh, we might also think about flying at 2 meters per second, where things are happening very quickly around you. And it's the same kind of sensing and reacting to the world mm -hmm. you have to do in both settings. And then lastly, my fifth S word is about swarms, where we think about how to get robots to collaborate. Mm -hmm. So uh, both the setting of precision agriculture and search and rescue uh, allows us to think about these five uh, research goals at a high level, mm -hmm. but in concrete settings. Right, right. Um, but thinking specifically about their applications, you know, as we see, uh, aerial vehicles coming and robotics in general coming more and more into industry and into the real world. Um, what are some like real challenges that you, you face uh, in getting them there? I think robotics is a very uh, challenging discipline. Mm -hmm. um, although you might uh, read about robots doing amazing things, uh, and you might see impressive demos on YouTube, uh, the fact is uh, we haven't made the progress that the press would lead you to believe. Mm -hmm. um, or that the venture community would have you believe. There are there are over, there's over a billion dollars of venture funding now in this field. Um, and you have to sit back and ask, I mean, how much of this is really going to work, right, mm -hmm. in the real world? And I think we're going through a phase of what I would call irrational exuberance, uh, including self-driving cars. I think, you know, it's just very hard to create vehicles that will have the kind of robustness that we expect uh, uh in the back of my mind, back of our minds, when mm. we think about robots, so uh, to have a car, for example, drive from point A to point B uh, in a real-world setting, uh, exhibiting at least human-like behaviors, preferably superhuman behaviors. Right. I mean, this is this is the expectation, and uh, I think our ability to deliver on that promise in the short term uh, is actually quite limited. Um, and again, the reason is because you have to be thinking about a system which interacts with the physical world on a, on a, on a real-time basis. In other words, sense the physical world, which can be rapidly changing around you, and then exhibit the ability to understand what is going on and react uh, while guaranteeing safety, yeah. uh, while guaranteeing a certain level of predictability mm -hmm. while engendering trust in the system. Uh, this is actually a very hard problem. Um, if you look at other fields such as uh, robotic manipulation, uh, the progress is even slower. Uh, our best robots today uh, don't have the dexterity of a three-year-old yeah. in terms of manipulation. Um, if you look at machine learning, a lot has been made uh, of the fact that now we have machines uh, that can be, beat the world's champion at uh, in chess or at Go. But the fact is, uh, these machines are not learning the underlying representations, the underlying knowledge. Right. They're simply learning how to play a game. Mm -hmm. um, and the ability to play one game doesn't 
generalized to a different game. Mm-hmm. So a machine that can beat the world's champion at, uh, for example, Go, uh, cannot play tic-tac-toe with a five-year-old yeah. and beat the five-year-old. It right. would have to be retrained. So I think there are a, a lot of uh, the, the, you know, we, we'd love to make, you know, these big leaps of faith uh, saying, oh, I've seen a machine do X and therefore it can do Y. Yeah. Uh, and the fact is X and Y are very, very different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you have to sort of step back and ask, are there tasks that robots can really do well and then pursue those kinds of tasks, those, those kinds of tasks. Right. So that's why uh, we see particular value in thinking about precision agriculture and search and rescue, where I think robots can truly add value to important problems that face uh, human society. Mm-hmm. And that's also that comes to, you know, one of your S's, making them smaller, um, where you don't have to worry so much about interaction with humans as much. They're just inherently a lot safer. They're inherently a lot safer, and I think uh, even if you did collide with something smaller, the penalty that you pay is a lot less. And that's something very, that's big and rigid. And that's very much a thrust of uh, your current research with developing sort of bee-inspired uh, Correct. flying Correct. behavior. Correct. Right. Correct. One other thing I might mention is we're also looking at com- oper- uh, opportunities for commercialization. So we mm-hmm. have um, so Penn does a great job in um, in has done a great job over the last couple of years in starting off companies. So we have a new center called the Penovation, mm-hmm. which is the home of uh, four drone startups, two robotic startups, all you know, pen engineering-based technologies that are being commercialized. So my own students have actually developed a couple of these companies. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so we also look to have an impact in the real world uh, not just by looking at applications, but looking at technologies that then can be commercialized. Right. So, can you give me an estimated date when we can see those in the field? So, robotic search and rescue is 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 something that is a, a little hard to uh, predict uh, because there is no industry, there's no commercial benefit from that. It is something right. we want to do because it's the right thing to do, but is somebody actually going to develop these search and rescue responders? Mm-hmm. And if so, what's the market value for that? This is not clear. Uh, but on the other hand, if you develop robots for search and rescue, they will be used in other kinds of tasks, so right. the lateral benefits of that. Um, certainly, uh, uh, the U.S. military engages in many, many humanitarian missions, and they could use these robots. Um, you think about firefighters uh, responding to the 9-11 disaster. Well, mm-hmm. uh, 20 years later, perhaps it will be robots that will respond to the 9-11 right. d- disaster or the equivalent. Um, I think in precision agriculture, things are happening uh, much faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the food and then the associated water problem um, problems are 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 assuming crisis proportions across the world. So I think there'll be a real question of can the human race exist uh, 50 years from now unless unless we have new technologies to improve the efficiency of food production. So I do think that this will happen sooner than later. In fact, we're already seeing um, uh, the use of fixed-wing vehicles and even rotorcrafts uh, for uh, a variety of applications, including precision spraying, um, and also uh, uh, monitoring um, our approaches are are um, are quite unique in the sense that we uh, get 
uh, robots to fly between rows of crops, for example, to get close-up views and side views. Uh, but there are some simpler problems that other people are tackling, and those are getting commercialized. What research initiatives are you looking forward to in the next five years or ten years? I think it's uh, uh, it, it's uh, it's hard to sort of predict what research we'll be doing in five years, mm -hmm. but uh, what we're doing today is uh, really, uh, I, I, I talked to you about these five S words, mm -hmm. uh, 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 small size, safe, safety, smart, speed, and swarms, right? right? That's, that's where we're pushing technology. Um, I think uh, this is these these goals sort of formulate our research at a very, very high level, uh, but this is a rapidly evolving field. Um, and ultimately, the specific challenges that we attack, uh, whether it be a basic research front or the commercialization front, uh, will really be determined, quite honestly, by what opportunities present themselves. But uh, just thinking back a little bit, if you're able to make smaller robots, safer robots, smarter robots, robots that can collaborate and robots can react quickly, you're solving, in fact, a wide range of problems. So in some sense, I expect we'll continue to do that five years from now. Mm -hmm. Just on smaller and smaller and safer scales. Exactly, exactly. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I enjoyed talking to you. And that's the end of today's episode. As always, you can check out robohub.org for lots more robot-related news, articles, videos and podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Swarm with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.